But at the same time, you start narrowing your focus down to the type of company you want to work for, you know, who's at in your network that might be working for that company or might know someone that's working at that company. And then you start narrowing your focus. And I think a lot of people have this misconception, like the spray and pray approach, where it's like, I'm just going to try to figure out a job. But that honestly, everybody's doing that. So I would always tell people, you know, in terms of that, your mindset needs to be you are the owner of your destiny, even as an employee, and you got to figure out exactly where you want to work. Uh, and, and if you can find those options, then you can kind of dive deeper and get a better chance to actually get in. Welcome back to the Max Your Dash podcast. Thank you for listening, liking, and sharing. My name is Steve. I'm joined by my co-host, Nate Alvarez, once again. And we have our first, actually our second guest ever. John Sheldon was our first, right? I, I almost forgot about that. But our second guest ever. We're going to talk about some cool stuff today. Guys, say what's up. Mike Sherman is our guest. How are we doing today, boys? I'm doing great. I'm very excited about this episode. I think it's a super unique topic. And I the Bills so won last night, so I'm in a great mood. Dude, they beat. Oh my gosh! Don't even get me started with this. Well, I'm a Cowboys fan. We were just talking about Odell, where he's gonna go. So hopefully, he goes to the Cowboys. Yeah, right in the division. We'll Could you imagine he ruins his career and goes to the Giants? That oh. team. Talk about fraud teams. Like they're rec- They are bad. They're bad. They're good record, man. Yeah, they good, do. They're good coach. Like, Doing good, good up momentum, yeah. Dude, th- that guy gets fired up. Now, he kind of reminds me of you sometimes. You see those videos of him after the game where he's yes. just like screaming. Yes, I was Real- just thinking. I was just thinking today that I, I hope that at some point in my life I get the chance to coach a football team. You absolutely, you you should try it. <laughs> you should you Man. should try it. Hundred percent, like Grayson's like little like peewee football team or something yeah you're gonna you're gonna give him like personal development quotes when yeah. they're like seven years old yeah. you're like, like coach for the class. dad i just clubs. i just i just want a popsicle i just want a popsicle yeah. <laughs> why has everything got to be a life lesson dad also also real quick nick because we could talk about this you know who's an absolute weirdo if you've been watching stuff on him guys is mike mcdaniel that dolphins coach that yeah, guy is weird he's he he clearly has won the locker room, but he's a different personality. Like, they All like right. him there, but I was watching mic'd up clips of him, and he's, like, literally telling Tua in the headset his mechanics were trash in high school <laughs> during oh the game. God. I don't know if you guys saw yeah. that, but it's I crazy. Saw it. I didn't see There's that. Some... No, I didn't see that. But I, I think, think, the, I think the Dolphins are actually a legit team and threat, and I don't like it, but it is what it is. Yep. Nate, why don't you, why don't you uh, introduce Mike here? Okay. Yeah. So, um, so Mike Sherman is one of my best friends in the world. Um, and before I get into kind of his bio, let's talk really quick about today's topic and why Mike is, is coming on board here for this. So, um, I think a a personal finance topic that is probably not talked enough about is how can, our clients or, or anybody listening to this grow intentionally grow your income. You know, oftentimes in personal finance, you talk about how can you reduce your expenses? We talk a lot about obviously our investment portfolios and how can we grow our net worth, but we don't talk enough in my opinion about how can you grow your income and increase your cash flow. Um, 
And so that's what today's topic is going to be about. So if you're somebody who would like to grow your income, you should probably keep listening. If you're satisfied with where you're at and you don't want to make more money, then you should probably uh, go find something else to listen to. <laughs> but um, so why Mike is on this podcast is so Mike is uh, one of my best friends, as I mentioned, um, of all the people that I've had the the opportunity to know or work with personally or professionally, I don't think I know anybody who is more impre- impressive to me at this topic. Mike is somebody who we grew up in a very similar town, very humble beginnings. He just completely left Lyons, New York to go to Arizona State College uh, University. Sorry, not college. Yeah, no, that's um, okay. Yeah, you were going to correct me. <laughs> well, and, uh, I, well I, I like to call it the Harvard of the Southwest. But. The Harvard of the Southwest. Um, and it what's, what has always stood out to me with that is – to my knowledge, Mike didn't know a single person there and he just went there. And how many people would actually even do that to begin with? And that's something that I think is really special about Mike is that he's willing to take chances and risks. Um, And so he goes off to ASU, you know, and and opens his mind to the business world and and has just always thought really, really big um, and has worked his way up by I wouldn't say necessarily because I think he's the smartest person in the world, but I think he's a great <laughs> communicator, um, and he's he's uh, incredible at networking, and his um, is a, a, an incredible negotiator. If there's ever a time where I'm in a difficult situation in my life where I, I need help or advice on something, I always go to Mike to talk it through because he's so good at the topic of negotiations and and how to think through things, and he's done an incredible job building his career. Um, I'll let him describe more about what he what he does today. But um, I think, again, of anybody that I've ever worked with in terms of growing their income and growing their career, Mike really stands out to me as somebody who's incredible at that skill set. So I'm excited about the opportunity to talk today about lessons that Mike has learned along the way um, to help our clients or our listeners really think more intentionally about how they can grow their income, which obviously leads to hopefully more uh, surplus and more opportunity to build wealth. I didn't prepare for that. How did I do? (laughs) I think you might've just maybe overachieved in my eyes. I don't know if that was, uh, but Mike, Mike, thank you seriously for coming on the podcast. It's, it's, it's awesome. And I, I, I'm really excited about this topic. No, absolutely. No, appreciate you, you know, having me on too. And I actually am a pretty, you know, passionate person about this, uh, topic in terms of, you know, how to grow your income. And and I specifically think about this and hopefully the framework today is more around, um, you know, in an employee. So if you have, you know, clients that are kind of in the entrepreneur world, I would say that that's probably not exactly what we're going to be kind of diving into. But, um, you know, I think, I think, you know, just from a, from an employee standpoint, being able to find jobs that are going to pay you more money and um, also, you know, trying to interview or sorry, negotiate for, raises i think i have a lot of you know thoughts on the topic so looking forward to yeah. chatting with you guys and you and you've had the opportunity to really be on both sides of the table of of that right you've been the person who's negotiated some pretty incredible compensation packages for yourself personally but also been on the other side of the table where people are trying to negotiate that with you right yeah. and so i think you have some awesome perspective on this subject yeah, I think I think it might be good just to give you try to give you a high level or a quick background of why maybe someone would want to listen to me versus somebody else. But um, ultimately, you know, I think 
I started my career around 2011 in Arizona, but really where I think my career got going was in 2013, I just cold emailed a startup in Austin, Texas, um, because I actually, uh, I think I spent about $100 on a cover letter and resume course that got me a, just like a, a, a I cold uh, emailed them with basically the cover letter template. I got an interview in two weeks. I'm in, I'm in Austin from Phoenix with a job that I think paid me at the time, maybe $25,000 more in salary than my current role that I had there. And back in uh, 2013 or so it was when I moved to Austin. And then from there, uh, I just kind of drove from there. So, you know, we, we got acquired uh, by a company called EMC Dell. And then uh, I worked in Europe for a long time as an account executive. So what's, you know, you kind of call carry the bag, doing a bunch of deals and negotiations around Europe. And then ultimately, I was sick of kind of traveling. Everyone thinks it sounds a little bit you know, more sexier than it really is when you're you know, doing transatlantic flights every other week for a long time. And then when you're in the US, you're getting up at three, four in the morning. Um, so I actually then, you know, a recruiter reached out to me uh, looking for another role at another company. It was kind of time to move on. I think at that time I maybe made, you know, another $25,000, $30,000 bump in salary. Uh, so it's just, it's, it's, it's getting yourself a perspective of where I am. And today um, I'm at another role. It's been about five and a half years. And I basically, you know, I'm a VP of revenue for a SaaS company. Um, you know, we actually were valued at $8 million in 2017. We just were acquired uh, for about $365 million. And I ran all of the kind of revenue for uh, the U.S. there. So I've definitely interviewed hundreds of people. Mm -hmm. I've negotiated not only on the sales side, but also on the side of people getting raises. So not to try mm -hmm. to you know go into too much detail. Yeah. I feel yeah. like I have a pretty decent understanding mm -hmm. of the topic. Yeah. And you're how old? 34. Well, I'll be 35 in what? 15 days. 35 in 15 days. And you days. sent pretty that cold email bro. when you were 29? That first cold email? No, no. It would have been uh, 25. 25. Oh, wow. Yeah. What'd you say in that cold email? Huh? <laughs> well, I, honestly, you Give know, us it's the funny. secrets. Everyone wants to know what you said. It was that hundred dollar cover letter, huh? Dude, you know, you, you know what's really funny? I might be able to find it. <laughs> <laughs> A cold email. I didn't even know it started like that. That's amazing. How'd you? Do you just like I find the like... company? You're like, this would be cool to work there. Yeah. So, I mean, this is kind of an interesting antidote. So, so basically what I was doing, you know, I was looking to kind of move from Phoenix. I, I, I had a job, I had a good network at the job, but I was just looking to do something else and really just grow my salary, my income. And I started getting really interested in startups. So like at the time, you know, in about 2012, 2013, I was really interested in um, working at a startup company and really yeah. trying to just see what type of value I could provide for, you know, small companies. And what I did was I started following a lot of venture capital blogs. Um, so all these VCs that invest in startups, I just started reading their blogs. And then what I would figure out is, oh, wait, once they invest in somebody, um, I can I can actually see that. And then I can go to their careers page and see if there's any opportunities, openings for any roles that might make sense. So what's funny is um, one of the companies I found, I was I was reading actually Foundry Group, which is a Brad Feld blog, looked at the careers page saw the title that like was kind of the next step up at my my old <laughs> job and i literally just you know basically with my first line you know was just like hey i've been you know list or uh, following uh, foundry group's blog uh you know and, and i know that brad feld is a, you know is a pretty big part of of your of your company would love to kind of learn more about this position and here's why i'm qualified and i just had three bullets of why i was qualified for that position uh we can dive into that and then ultimately it was it was there. I mean, really, it comes down to it comes down to that.
So That's, I know we're gonna we're gonna probably get into some of the yeah. conversation here, but some takeaways from that to me that I'm hearing are number one, like you just gotta be willing to take a chance. Yeah. Like don't I was say, like, start I feel with the like, mindset. Yeah, it starts with the mindset and, and I feel like a lot of people are just afraid to even start or try. Yeah. Um Yeah. I mean, I think I and, and well, I think when people start and try, I think they come from the mindset of like, I just need a new job. And what I tell people all the time is, uh, you know, what job do you want and what company do you want to work for? And I don't start any job search or I don't even do one resume until I probably have a list of about 20 companies that I want to work for. And that's a lot of hard work. But at the same time, you start narrowing your focus down to the type of company you want to work for, you know, who's at in your network that might be working for that company or might know someone that's working at that company. And then you start narrowing your focus. And I think a lot of people have this misconception, like the spray and pray approach, where it's like, I'm just going to try to figure out a job. But that, honestly, everybody's doing that. So I would always tell people, you know, in terms of that, your mindset needs to be, you are the owner of your destiny, even as an employee, and you got to figure out exactly where you want to work. Uh, and, and if you can find those options, then you can kind of dive deeper and get a better chance to actually get an interview. Steve, do you do you think um, that most people believe that growing their income is controllable? No, probably not. Right. The, like you said in the beginning, the most thing, the things they think are in their control is how much money they spend, but not how much money they make. Mm-hmm. Especially but, for employees too, right? Like, I think that's a, I think that's an interesting mm-hmm. concept. Mike, yeah. what do you, th- what do you think about that? Do you think your income is controllable? Well, yeah, I mean, so I think it's a hundred percent controllable. But the, the one thing that you know, I think you need to figure out is, you know, do you have enough of the skills to take that risk and actually get the job? And what I mean is, I don't actually think you need the experience to get a job. Like, for example, I've been a manager before. You know, I was a you know, ever been a manager before. So I didn't have management skills, but I was mm-hmm. able to understand what the job entailed and then be able to talk around that when those questions came to me in an interview. So to me, it's more of, do you have the skill set either from experience and or from learning to go after that job? And that's what makes it incredibly controllable. Where I don't think a lot of people have that. A lot of people think, well, you know, oh, I don't have the skills, so I'm not going to be able to get the job. And and trust me, right. you know, from interviewing a lot of people and hiring director of sales and, and managers and stuff like that, you know, I don't like experience is one input. It's not right. all of them. And it's not a dead go if you don't have it. So you would say the better, like the better your skills are, the more controllable it is. You don't think that's true? No, I think the better the skills, your, your skills are, the more um, chance you have. Definitely. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I think, I think, but it, so, so that's how I look at it is when you're applying for a role and, 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 and you're applying it for, you know, for a number of reasons, whether it's a cool company, whether it's a better title, whether it's more money, um, you got to assess your skill set and, and, and think about, Hey, if I don't have these skills, what could I do, you know? To, to, to show yeah. that I'm willing to learn the skills and here's what I've yeah. done. You know, I tell yeah. a lot of people that come to me for advice now, it's like, go to YouTube, type in the title and type in just experience. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's just thousands yeah. of YouTube videos and yeah, you can right. learn from that. Did you have a goal? I'm curious, do you have a goal for your income when you first started? Like from that, I guess that first time you sent that cold email, did sure. you have a goal for your, I know we were talking a little bit about this and you said, I don't know if you said you like to put timeframes on the goals or you don't like it, but you had, mm-hmm. I don't, did you have a goal for your income when you were, when you were doing those things in the beginning? 
Uh, that's an awesome question. So no is the answer. I think Nate will remember this because I've been working with Nate in terms of the finance stuff for a long time. And my biggest goal was to get out of my student loan debt. So I had about yeah. I had about like 90 grand in student loan debt. And um, I just knew that I needed to get a higher income in order to do it, right? So you had to have a delta in terms of income versus expenses. And, you know, I just didn't have that in my first job. And, and you know, I knew that there was more opportunity out there. I knew I had to probably take some risks, but, you know, I was comfortable moving um, to cities. And at that time, it wasn't as remote friendly as it is now. But um, I just had to, yeah, I had to take the chance. So I didn't have a specific number in mind. I just knew I wanted to pay off my student loans as fast as I possibly could. And so I just needed to try to get, and actually, this is a funny story. So that job that I'd sent the cover letter to, um, the recruiter told me the actual OTE of the job. And it was way more than I was making. It was like double. And so I was like, whoa, this is amazing. But I actually screwed up in the negotiation during that time. So I've still got a big bump, but I didn't get a bump of what she told me. So I've gone through a lot of the failures in negotiation yeah. <laughs> to try to get to where I am now. Yeah. I think it's interesting like that, you know, there's a, most people, they go into the the new year and this is a great time to be talking about this because it's the end of the year they go into the new year and they think about their budget for next year and like what they want their budget to be and they'll a lot of times they'll think about how much money they want to save or whatever and things they want to do but again I, I i just don't feel like enough people are thinking about a goal for what they want their income to be in a year or two or three and i just personally am of the belief that if you set a goal for what you want your income to be a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, I don't know that you'll necessarily get there, but I'm very confident that you will get, you will grow more there than you would if you didn't have a goal. And that's one thing that I, I feel like Mike, maybe you didn't necessarily have like a specific written down goal for what you want your income, but you did have a goal as you're describing with your, yeah, you know, paying off the student loans. But you also mentioned in a, in our call the other day, as we were prepping for this, the, the dream budget, I think you, sure. you mentioned. Yeah. He said he had his, his life. He wanted to look a certain way and he knew what he needed to make to essentially yep. live that life. Yeah. Tell, tell us about the dream budget. What should people be doing a dream budget? Sure. No. So I, I, I mean, I don't know if, I don't know if uh, everybody but should be doing the dream budget, but you know, one of my philosophies is is to live a bit more with intent, and you, you got a bigger chance to get there. Um, so, yeah. you know, what what I would say is is that you know I have an Excel spreadsheet, pretty nerdy as Nate's probably seen as as my financial advisor, and <laughs> I know exact I knew exactly in 2013 and 2014 when I was going to pay off my student loans in three years, and you know, 90 grand in three years is quite a bit, um, and so. I, you know, I, I, I wrote it out, you know, it was pretty nerdy, but at the same time, it gave me an incredible good direction and actually gave me confidence that I could get there. Um, and I think a lot of people, you know, need to write that stuff down to actually just feel confident that they can do it. Um, so, but now after, you know, after, you know, those student loans and I'm in a bit of a different position now, you know, I still have a dream budget that shows exactly, you know, how much, like how much money do I need every month in income? in order to live the lifestyle that I want. And so, and by the way, I'm not there yet. I feel like I'm, 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 I'm very close, but at the same time, um, you know, it's great to have kind of just that goal of, Hey, if you want to live the perfect lifestyle for yourself, what would that look like? Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah. you know, it's, it's a lot of fun. I mean, I think that could be a podcast in and of itself. Maybe. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think that's definitely powerful, but it leads back to like, okay, this is what you want. This is what you need. Your this is how much money you need to make. Now, what do you need sure. to do to like X, Y, and Z? Yeah, um, and, so it definitely starts with the mindset that's powerful. 
Steve, I think it was our very first podcast episode we ever did was on goal setting, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And one of the things we talked about a lot in there was like that the whole purpose of goals really is to create action. So I feel like if you're somebody listening today and just by simply writing down the question, what is what do I want my income to be in? Yeah. Just pick a time period, three years, two years, whatever, mm-hmm. just by simply doing that and then writing down an answer and then thinking about like, OK, well, then what is it that I need to do to get there? Mm-hmm. Just that exercise is taking it's action huge. and that action is going to lead you to a place that you weren't going to get to if you didn't do that yeah. exercise. You know, and yeah. that's that's like the coolest thing. And I feel like, Mike, you've done a, yeah. a really awesome job of doing that. Yeah, Mike, mm-hmm. it sounds to me like from me talking to you behind the scenes before this and now you were very intentional from the start with this stuff, which is what more people need to do. But it starts with the mindset because they don't think they need to be intentional because they don't think it's in their control. So like, what's the yeah. point of me being intentional? Like, I, But yeah. for you were like, control your own destiny. I mean, you lions to Arizona State. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, yeah. No, I think that. It's Austin. No, no, totally. No, I think, I think honestly, guys, like, I've always had kind of a, a motivation to be successful. So I always thought that everything in life is controllable and the things that are outside your control, you shouldn't worry about. So, yeah. um, you know, I think from my perspective, you know, it's 100% in your control and you can go do yeah. things in, in order if that's what you want enough of it. So I, I'm, I definitely think that you gotta, Come with a mindset of intention if that's what you want to do, for, and especially kind of thinking about a job search. There are definitely things you kind of have to um, think about, I would say, in order to make that adjustment from saying it's not in my control until yeah. it's in my control. Yeah. So it's interesting. It starts with mindset like most things. You mm-hmm. were talking about last time this is important that in this whole process, there's usually two camps of people, the new job people current job people talk a little bit about the difference between those two in this process. And then uh, I know you alluded a little bit to skill accusation accusation, but talk a little bit about that as well. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, the the way I kind of, the the way I grew my income in all honesty, up until this job I've had for about five and a half years is really going to other jobs. So new jobs, uh, like going to a new job is an opportunity for you to grow your income. Um, and, and there's absolutely a framework to do that. And then there's another camp of folks who are in a current job and let's say they're like really enjoying the company, the job role, but they feel that they are not getting paid, you know, the amount of money that they deserve. And so, you know, those are two different kind of, um, ways in which to go about. (laughs) Dude, that is a a lot of people. I feel like current job people who don't, who is sitting there saying, I think I am paid enough. (laughs) Probably not a lot of Americans, right? Reasonably, of course. Everyone wants more money, but like, you know, without being like, oh, yeah, I'm being screwed over. Think about how many people are actually in that position. Current job people who don't feel like they're paid their worth, right? That's what you say. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think I think there's a lot of people like that. You know, you you always hear all the time, like, you know, oh, I'm I'm not getting paid enough here, blah, 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 blah. And so my first question is, is, you know, why don't you go look for a new job then? And then you start kind of peeling back the onion. And you know what? Look, a lot of people are loyal to their company, which is actually a huge value, especially for someone like me in my role who, you know, have about 25, 30 people reporting to me now. Like, I want loyal people, you know? And so I need to do kind of the opposite to try to make sure that people stay loyal. Um, but the people that are loyal to loyal to the company, that's when it gets to a point of, okay, if you want more money, you're loyal to the company or your boss, um, that's when it kind of gets down to brass tacks in terms of now you need to switch your mindset 
And then you need to start building your strategy in order to go get more money. Mm-hmm. Should we get dive in? I think we should dive into that further. So yeah, like, <clears throat> like let's get a little tactical here. Yeah, I'd love to. You know, so you talked a lot about like um, when we were prepping about leverage. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, you know, I think the reality is the first question a lot of people should ask themselves if they're they want more money is are you should are you deserving of it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like and, no, I think so. Let's talk about that a little bit, yeah. and then if you and then like so, how do you feel like you've actually earned it, Mike? And yep. and then and then what? Yeah. So I think I think you know I've I've kind of like did a little preparation and thinking about you know frameworks for negotiation, and you know I've done it in in my current role to try to increase my salary or other things of my comp package. Uh, and then, you know, also, you know, kind of thinking about it from a new job standpoint. So the first thing is, is I think actually, if we go back just a little bit on mindset, it's first off, what's a company there to do? You know, and I don't need to want to put you guys on the spot, but, you know, at the end of the day, Nate, you're a business owner. What ultimately is a company there to do? Make money. Exactly. So I think a lot of times, especially employees, and, you know, we do have a lot of awesome, like, companies out there with a ton of perks, a ton of values, you know, really respect their employees. But at the end of the day, as you move up in a company, you see the more and more pressure it gets down to kind of black and white. Are you hitting your mm-hmm. numbers? Are you not? Are you helping grow revenue? Are you helping mm-hmm. grow margins or increasing cash flow? Right? Like that's just brass tacks. And I think a lot of people when they're asking for more money and and upward mobility, I think they forget that that the more they go upward, the more responsibility they are going to have and inherently the more pressure that mm-hmm. they are going to get. And if you're comfortable with that, then by all means, you know, go for it. But I think that's kind of the first key thing is understanding what the company is there to do and making sure that you are okay with taking out the added pressure that is to come of that. Yeah. And then I think kind of the, you know, the the second thing is, you know, how much do you want to get paid, right? Like, you got to have an understanding of, like, what do you think your worth is to the business based on where you currently are? And then quickly after that, it's, is it real, realistic? So I believe that a lot of people just come out and throw this arbitrary number out there, and um, they're just like, well, I should be paid this. And then when you ask them, well, why? Um, you know, not many people have the evidence. So that's mm-hmm. where you have to start kind of doing the work. So you have the mindset of what the company's there to do. And then now you have the mindset of like, okay, I'm ready for the pressure. Now it's a matter of, you know, okay, how much can I get paid? And is it realistic? That's when you start diving into the detail. So I kind of took a step back from the whole like value conversation, but is there anything you guys wanted to add or ask there? No, you said this is um this is a line that you said in our prep that I really liked. You said you have to ask yourself, if I were to threaten to leave, would they try to save me? Mm. So that's so so yeah. So that that's where we get started into the tactics. So now you're prepared to say, look, I, I want to stay at this company, um, but I want more money, right? And that's the exact question that you need to understand. And it comes down to this, it comes down to value. How valuable are you to the company um if you were to leave? That's hands down what it is. And so when I'm in my position as, as, as a VP of sales and I have you know some people reporting to me, I absolutely work with my, my my leadership teams and stuff. And we all know who our A players are and the people that we cannot lose. And we then have a strategy to make sure that they stay happy. So you yeah. got to figure out what they're motivated by, all that. Same goes to show for an employee, right? Are you an A player or a B player? 
Well, if you're a C player, you, you might want to be careful of being there. But uh, <laughs> that's a whole other you know, concept in yeah. itself. But if you feel like you're an A player, that then shows that you have value. And so I said company, but ultimately it comes down to, are you valuable enough as an A player to your boss or your boss's boss, right? And I was actually just on the phone with a friend today and, and you know, she's looking to negotiate a little bit of equity. And she literally is so confident in like, if I were to leave, like there is no, like I, they would be screwed. Like there's no way yeah. they could do what they're doing without me. So then that's kind of the general. So make sure that you like check that box off from a generality, like I have the value. But then the second piece where people forget is get specific. So anytime that someone comes to me and asks for a raise, which has happened a lot, you know, I have to understand from them if they understand why in which they are deserving of a raise. Because remember, I'm not trying to be a bully, but I have a certain budget I have to work into mm -hmm. that finance gives to me, and it only can go so far, right? Yeah. So you gotta get specific in the value points that you're delivering, not only now and currently, and in the past of what you have achieved, but what will you do with the m extra money that they give you for your boss or for that company? So if you don't have that list down, I don't even think you can get to the negotiating table. Yeah. So would you say, Mike, that there's a couple of simple questions I feel like people can be asking themselves to 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 kind of yeah. understand if they are deserving or if they have earned it. One is obviously, I love that question of if I was to leave, like, would the company be trying to save me? And and, mm -hmm. and you got to answer that honestly for yourself. Yeah. You know, you got to set your ego aside and just be really honest about that. But then, like, I think there's the step of because, like, if you're in a sales role, it's very easy to quantify things. Like, if I, you know, I do two million dollars right. of sales, so if I'm not here, but then there's a lot of people in in roles that are not sales roles that are not. It's not as easy to quantify like the numbers side of things, like how sure. they drive the bottom line. So, what advice might you give that person who is tr is listening to this and they're thinking they're so, they, they feel like they add value? but it's not as black and white in terms of the data. Like sure. what advice would you give them to help them realize the specifics of the value that they add? Yeah, no, great question. Um, so what I would do, and this actually goes to like a lot of different things, but a lot of people, when they apply for a role, there's a job description, right? And what I don't think a lot of people know is that when you write a job description, you put a lot of work and a lot of hours into writing the job description so somebody can be attracted to that role and you want to make sure that the job responsibilities those people can handle. So in that person's you know, situation, I would say go back to the job description that you applied for. Look at each specific bullet and job responsibilities. And you should ask your yourself this question. Did I overachieve in each mm. part of this? And then the second thing I would do is then I would, if you could, which you can kind of do some with digging, what's your boss's job responsibilities and have you helped that person yeah. succeed. So it doesn't necessarily because a lot of you know a lot of things are like project based um, roles versus like sales and or or like you know if you're an HR function, it's not necessarily a number, but there are job responsibilities that you have to do. And then your boss has responsibilities that they might delegate to you or you become like I actually saw an example of somebody who like was like the Excel spreadsheet wizard. So for their whole team, if they had questions, like they were that person. Well, when layoffs come, What's going to happen? This person has just a little bit more skill set than everybody yeah. else on the team because they're a go-to human being. So I would say those are kind of the two tricks or tactics that I would do to yeah. try to try to feel good about the value that I'm providing for that raise conversation.
That's really good advice. So look at your job description and, and ask yourself, honestly, am I overachieving? And I, I want to hit on this point before we go to the next thing, Steve. So you said overachieve. You didn't say just completing the task. You said overachieve. Sure. And I think that's an interesting thing, kind of comes back to mindset a little bit. I feel like a lot of times people might be, they look at their job description in the mindset of, well, I did my job. Mm-hmm. So, um, <clears throat> and and I feel like, if I was trying to grow my income, right? Like let's say I'm making a hundred grand a year and I want to go to 150 and I'm thinking through my plan to do it. I'm more likely to get there and achieve my goal. If I'm overachieving, if I'm going above and beyond as much as I possibly can in my job description. Um, do you experience that Mike? Like, do you feel like people kind of view their job description and they, with the attitude of like, I'm just going to check these boxes. I'm not going to go above and beyond. And, and do you have any comments on that? Yeah, so I think I think a couple things. So in one camp, it's somebody doing their job of the job responsibilities and and they're and they're achieving them well, right? But and then they find out that they're underpaid compared to the market. So like the first question is is are you underpaid compared to the market on the job responsibilities? And there's a ton of websites out there that you can, you know, figure out if you're underpaid or not within the location that you're at, right? I think then the second thing goes is if let's say you are paid a little below average or average, you know, at, at best that's when the overachievement conversation needs to occur. That that's where you really need to push, you know, your momentum and, and your work to do it. I always say, you know, when someone's coming to me and asking for a raise, you know, first off, it's always like, is this person like irreplaceable or replaceable? A lot of people are replaceable, but it, it's really coming. But no, but it really comes down to the opportunity cost of replacing them, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So. Um, I think I think the I think the question lies into for me it's the opportunity cost for replacing them how long it's going to take me to search how long it's going to take me to train and whatnot and so when you think about somebody asking for a really big percentage of a raise that's what that boss is thinking of like hmm should I do that but yeah. then you still need to deliver on the actions not only of what right. you've done but what will you do because you gave me the raise so. Yeah. And that's a long answer to that question, but I think that it's it's always context and everybody has a specific situation, but that's kind of where I see yeah. it. It's some really valuable stuff. And I think everything we just talked about was how do you get a seat at the negotiation table? Mm-hmm. The last phase of this is what do you do when you're sitting there? Is there anything well, you wanted to add, I guess, before we get into like the actual, sure. you know, once you're sitting at the table? But by the way, which way, what do you think is the hardest part of it? Like getting to the table or once you're there executing? Because like you said, you messed, you messed up and left some money on the table that one time. That's actually the negotiation. Do you think people getting to the table and like finding the leverage, stuff like that is harder mm-hmm. than actually sitting there and negotiating? I think first off, prep is key in this, right? So yeah. all of the work that you need to do around looking at your job responsibilities, have you ever achieved, you know? Another thing you need to do, it's all about the plan before you sit at the mm-hmm. table. So a couple points that I think people should think about um, before but before getting to the table is, let's say you know you're valuable, you have the specific situations around why you're valuable. The next thing is, is um, who around you can you go and kind of talk to to get more confidence that you are ready for a raise? So using your network internally, maybe it's like your favorite coworker that you know you can be a little bit more transparent with. Honestly, sometimes maybe you find your boss's um, like 
on, on your boss's level, somebody else at your boss's level, and you have a good relationship with that person, you might be able to go and talk to them a little bit more openly about your concern around a raise. Um, what does this company do when somebody comes and asks for a raise? Anything that you can do around the people internally to understand the shot that you have to get a raise, I think is like a key component, right? And so as an example, the, uh, you know, a person that I'm talking to, right, they have a really good relationship with, um, you know, somebody else that they work with closely. And they said, like, we would be, you know, really SOL'd without you here. Like, it would take, mm -hmm. we'd be six, seven months behind. So, like, Jeez. I would, if somebody came and asked me, like, I'd say, give them any of the money that you want. That's a good, you know, negotiation point not to tell your boss, but give you confidence that you can have the seat at the table. And right. I think a lot of people, I actually think a lot of people, and we can kind of get into this, is, like, they have all of that stuff, right? So they have the people around them that would vouch for them. They, they have all the, the overachievement stuff, but then they're just too scared to get to the table. But what I would say is, I would say there's the opposite end of the spectrum, which I've seen is like, they do no prep. They come to the table and ask for a raise just because they saw something on a website. And you know, yeah. you'd say, yeah. all right, we're not ready for this conversation. And it's a pretty easy one to, to, to deflect. Do you think that people are, like you said, people, do you think people are scared because their conviction behind themselves are low? Or do you think these people know that they bring something to the table, but they're actually just scared to do it? I'd uh, be surprised. I think some people nowadays a, are a little bit overconfident. This is a, this is a therapist conversation. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, I know. I no, think, I think it is. Yeah. It's a definitely a really uncomfortable subject, right? Like I For know sure. so many people that are, if I was to give them the advice to go ask for a raise because I think they are, they deserve it, they they wouldn't because they're just right. eh, it's just that I don't want to that. Yeah. I don't want to have that conversation with my boss or whatever. Yeah, totally. You know? And they're yeah. leaving. They're leaving money on the table, don't you think? No, yeah, I think so. I think I think I think they are. And then you know, ultimately, it's it comes down to just the confidence in yourself that your boss respects you enough to keep you yeah. around. And but confidence. You can't, sorry, real quick though, but you can't just ask for something that is way out of the way out of left field because you got to remember your boss right. has to go vouch for you to that budget holder. Maybe your yeah. boss has a certain budget, right? maybe your boss has a certain budget. So you got to try to navigate that conversation in a realistic and intelligent way. So, yeah. you know, you have to understand what your space of a raise is, you know, in some companies yeah. or, or something when you do your research or, or a job title, it might be 10, 15 grand. So you, you need to understand that other jobs, it could be 40, 50, 60, and it might sound kind of crazy, but it, there's absolutely truth to it. Yeah. Yeah. You got to You have to understand. Like the big takeaway that I'm getting from this is, people need to understand their leverage, and they need to have really like, like not vaguely, like right. specifically. How, how, why am I so valuable? Mm -hmm. Because I think the more people actually sit down and write it out and think and make those notes of this, this is why I'm valuable. This and like I, I thought that was a great point of look at your job description that you were hired to do and and ask yourself honestly, like, am I overachieving here, 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 here? And if you can say that confidently, yes, and you brainstorm other things you're doing to like that just should give you so much confidence to go to that negotiating table. And that's probably 90% of the battle, don't you think? Like just go into the, the, the table with the, that confidence mm -hmm. and and knowing, by the way, that it's not overconfidence. It's legit confidence because you've Ex actually prepared and thought it through. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if, if somebody came to the table with 
a one pager of, hey, here's the accomplishments that I've made over the course of the last X amount of months or years. Um, you know, I really like this company. I love working for you. I want to be a more valuable asset to the company. Um, I think here are some things that I could do in order to help the company become more valuable or help you in your role more. But I would love to talk about how we can get better compensation for the future for my career here. Yeah, great, great language. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. That I kept asking you yesterday, like, how do you? I think most people struggle with that. Like, well, how do you even start the conversation? Yep. And remember Especially when I when, when, yeah when you say negotiation table, right? This isn't just like <laughs> I, I'm I'm across the table from them and I need to get that thing done now. But what you sh it, it's a process, and you know some companies have processes where raises happen you know twice a year or raises happen once a year. So you got to start doing your due diligence before those times because especially the 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 size of the company, it's going to be a little bit more strict around those things because of budgetary right. reasons and stuff like that. Smaller startup companies and stuff, it's a little bit more fluid. But um, yeah. you know, let's just say, for example, a company does it you know, twice a year and they're going to do it in January. Well, I'd be getting to work now. So I'd be thinking about the value that I've provided in the past, looking up research and seeing you know, if I'm underpaid. Um, looking at other potential opportunities in the co in the company, maybe if you like your boss a lot, like what your boss would want to see and what 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 they're hiring for. Um, even ask your boss, hey, are you like looking to you know other positions going on to the new year, just to get a feel for if there's going to be any opportunities for you that you might be interested in, and then you start kind of aligning your value that you have, and then really you need to start thinking about what additional value can you go do for that business? And if you have like really good specific examples, I think it's great. And then the third thing is, is start talking to your peers to gather more and more of that confidence that you have earned the right to be at the negotiating table. Yeah. Yeah. And, and by the way, too, if, if you're, if you're answering these questions to yourself, you're looking at your job description and maybe you're and you're being really honest and you you haven't provided as much value as maybe you sure. should have that's okay too so now yeah. get intentional about in the next six to 12 months how am i going to change that so that the next time this comes around i can actually increase my income yeah no 100 i think i think a lot of times when people you know look at look at themselves and really say hey you know i, I might i might just just be doing the job like like think about your boss's shoes, right? They have X number of people that report to them. Um, you know, why would they give the money to you versus the other people on the team? And it's not a emotional thing. It has to be incredibly like, you know, data driven with an approach of, hey, this is why I think I yeah. deserve this raise. Yeah, that's a great, great point too, that like the, the finance team, they, you know, there's only so much money to go around and other people work here too. <laughs> so, yeah, sure. Yeah. So it's not just about you going above and beyond within your role, but also how are you doing compared to your peers? Steve, how amazing would it be if uh, somebody reached out to us and was like, dude, I got a 25% raise because of this podcast. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, yeah. That'd be amazing. Right. Dude, there is a big opportunity because people just don't, I, I just don't think, think about it. And they're just I not think they, int intentional about it. I think there's a big fear around the conversation. There's some people I've noticed, like Mike, for you, I think it's it's maybe easy for you. It comes across like it's easy for you to just go ask for for more stuff. But not everybody is hardwired that way. And and I think well, we should be empathetic that, you know, there are a lot of people out there that it's just like a very f fear ridden conversation to go yeah. have. Well, but, but it also goes back to like, so I would say like maybe I'm like a little bit more hardwired to make that conversation easier. But like, remember, I just told you I screwed up a negotiation when I was getting mm -hmm. a job and like, 
you know, it's, it's, you know, take it like being able to take the hits, but also like, like I said, that like preparation and like learning is such a big deal. The more you can learn, like, honestly, like I said, like YouTube is like my favorite thing to go learn mm-hmm. something. You just like negotiating tips. You could yeah. watch 20 videos and you could come in with an idea Literally. of how yeah. should I do yeah. this? Right. So it's, I think that People have obviously in every skill set, people have are hardwired just a little to make it a little bit easier. But for the people that really, really want the money and they really, really think they've had value, but they're just scared to be at the negotiating table, go learn. Go yeah. work on it. And practice. Practice like, with your practice with your husband or wife. Like we'll, like like practice Mom, with dad, somebody else. Your exactly. Dog. Exactly. <laughs> like, Call me. Call right, Mike. Yeah. Mike. No, yeah. well, Don't you call say me. Call me. <laughs> yeah, let's get, hey, Steve, let's put let's let's put Mike's uh, cell phone in the show notes. Absolutely. We um, well, Mike, you guys, what, you guys both know that if you guys find that somebody needs help with that, I'd be more than willing to help just with the relationship yeah. I have with you guys. You know. Yeah, but uh, so one one really random quick question: If let's say you have, what advice would you give to somebody who let's let's just say they're their goal is, you know, they make a hundred grand, they want to make one twenty, mm-hmm. and forget it. Like, let, we don't know the background of their business, right, right, but they right. deserve, they deserve it. We could check sure. the boxes that they deserve it. They're, yep. they're overachieving or whatever. Do you ask for one forty? Do you ask for one thirty? Do you ask for one twenty? Like, what's your thoughts on that? Like, when you go in, do you ask higher because it's probably going to negotiate lower? You've been on both sides of the table sure. there. What, what advice do you give them? That's what I would do. <laughs> yeah sure yeah. what would you do steve you'd be like i'll, I'll take 110 Listen, I'm not doing anything for under- Get out of here, no. <laughs> you know i think i think for for me right like it comes down to the relationship they have built with the person that is in charge of the budget and if you don't really have a relationship i would say yeah like let's say you're ready you got your you know you got all your value points your talk tracks yeah. down then sure, like maybe you need to ask for a little bit more and they're going to try to negotiate with you to bring it down. But I ultimately, the way I have done it is, and, and maybe not a lot of people are like this, but I try to build a transparent relationship with my boss, my boss's coworkers, you know, at the same level. And I really get to a point where I get to, you know, incredibly confidence to even know like, hey, look, you know, I know I am being like underpaid in this role based on where everybody, everything is in um, here. I'm not asking to get to average, but based on all of the accomplishments that I've had, I believe that like it would be great if I could deserve a raise up to X. And then you get Y, right? And you're going to be happy because it's going to be a substantial right. number, hopefully. So what you're saying is make buddies with the budget guys. What I that's it. Well, that's actually, I wouldn't say no, this is. I wouldn't say the budget. Hold on, just should, real quick, Steve. I yeah. just want to make sure I'm clear. It's not the not being buddies with the budget guy. It is developing relationships with people who have an understanding of how raises get done in that company, right? And and like too, like you got to understand, like there are more things to negotiate than just a salary increase that could help. That's interesting. You said that people don't understand this. Like there actually is, like the business has cash they have to pay. There is only an X amount that they have divvied up for raises yeah you know what yeah. i mean they're giving people that money i don't think people and and, and unfortunately this is just a brutal reality and mike i think you're you are so good at this you might not necessarily love your boss as a person but you got to play the game <laughs> like you cannot because you don't like that person necessarily like maybe that person's not your best friend but if you're trying to get a raise and that person <laughs> doesn't like you 
because of the way attitude you're bringing to the table, yeah. you're not playing the game well. You're not stacking the deck in your favor. I don't care how good you are at the job. The brutal reality is that boss is probably going to give you a hard time on getting the raise you want if they don't like you, right? <laughs> well, so yeah, I actually learned a really awesome lesson from an old VP of sales when I was an account executive, and he said, if you don't like working with or for someone, one of the key things that you need to do is figure out a way for that person to solve the problems that you have. So it's util- even like taking the personal part out of it and the emotional part out of it is really, really hard for everyone. But the people that I have liked working with and haven't liked working with, I think when you take the emotion out, they can solve problems for you. And one of those problems is getting more money. Like yeah. it will come to help. I promise you there have been people that haven't really liked working with me, but if I think they're valuable, they come to me and make sure that, hey, when they need a raise, like I will vouch for them. Because here's what happens with raises too, guys. When someone goes and asks, that boss is going to talk to other people who work with that person who's asking for the raise, and they're going to get vouched for. Yeah. And you need to make sure that you have people on your side to be like, oh my gosh, yeah, keep this person, right? Yeah. And that makes the bosses, because that makes the boss's job easier to go get that money for you. It's yeah. like, hey, I talked to you know my counterpart mm-hmm. here, my counterpart here. Everybody's saying like yeah, this person's so a rock star. Can I get the money to give it to them? So yeah. it's don't worry about who likes you or who doesn't. What you need to do is play the game. And mm-hmm. I just listened to this podcast, and he's like my new like favorite dude. He, he sold Kinkos in like 1997-98. And he said something about this. He was the owner of Kinkos, and he said, I think everybody makes the mistake to love their job. You need to enjoy your job because ultimately it's just about the money. And he and and so it's just a really <laughs> cool, it's a really cool yeah. concept of like. People who fall in love, he said they lose their objectivity. And he said he just always tried to enjoy it. And I just heard that a couple of days ago, and I like trying to play around with that. But it, it makes a lot of sense. When you far, start falling in love with something, you kind of like lose the objectivity of it. And you start, you know, oh, I, maybe I'm not ready for the raise. Like, I'll just keep working harder or whatnot. And it's like, no, like, yeah. get, go get what you're worth. Yeah. yeah. So we've, we've, um, I saw this stat. I don't know. I don't have, I did not fact check this at all. So <laughs> I hope it's true. But I saw in the U.S. that the average raise at your same job is 2% a year. The average raise hopping to a new job is 30%. So we talked a lot about creating more value at your current job so that you can earn the right to get a raise within your current job. You've also had some really cool stories about how you've worked with recruiters and stuff to get new jobs. Yeah. Um, Let's maybe we talk about that a little bit. Like, how do you how do you think about that? Yeah, what yeah, I was sure. thinking too, Mike. I wanted to tell you this. I feel like a lot, and maybe I'm wrong, but like a lot of people might not want to switch jobs, especially in today's day and age. I feel like a lot of people are loyal. It's trying to it's starting to change. Like where you see all these people who are advocating like change your job, you can make more money. But I feel like a lot of people are also just like loyal, maybe to a fault to the current place they work at, and don't realize like what Nate just said. You can thirty like that's crazy thirty percent. Sure. You know. Yeah, I mean, all the, I mean, th- that's how I got my big raises was going to other companies. Now, in this, you know, in, in other jobs, kind of later on in my career, I've gotten bigger raises than mm-hmm. than than going to new jobs. But, you know, loyalty is an interesting thing, and you know, there are times. No, no, and, and I mean it in a, in, a, in a sincere way. Like there are times when I believe that loyalty it's actually more to people than a company because a company will definitely have to do what it has to do for its shareholders, yeah. right? And, and it's not that you're a bad person. It's just, look, things happen. This is how the capitalist mm-hmm. you know, society works. And the more you can get around that, I think the more 
objective you can think about this. So yeah. what I look at, how I look at loyalty is like, if I have a person leave like my organization and we can't save them and they're valuable, I wish them well. And I hope that, you know, I can work with them again. So the loyalty lies with the people, not yeah. necessarily the companies that you're working for. And I think sometimes people forget about that because like, if you were to ask yourself, you know, hey, am I loyal to this company or am I loyal to Nate? More than likely people Steve, are loyal to, to careful. To Careful. <laughs> don't worry about my answer, pal. Yeah. Exactly. I don't want to. I don't want to get into your guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But maybe Steve, I can help you out. Um. Careful here. Yeah. Uh, no, no I think that's. I think that's really true. That I think that what you're saying there is really true. That uh, the loyalty lies in the people. But I think Steve brings up a really good point that, like, in the minds of so many individuals across the country, they. They know they're really good at what they do, and they know they probably could go make more money somewhere else. But that breaking that loyalty to their current company is maybe like a values misalignment for, or something for them sure. individually. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And um, what advice do you give to people like that? Like, you know, how, how do you kind of get over that? Because, again, you're leaving money on the table. And and I think that the, you're kind of saying it without saying it direct enough, maybe like the, the reality is the business like – probably a year after you left doesn't even think about you anymore. <laughs> so like, yeah, no, I, I, I believe that, you know, you're loyal to people, not companies. And, um, you know, I, I think it kind of goes into the nice transition of, you know, the recruiter, you know, thing. it's just like businesses are probably always up for sale. You know, you might want to think about being always up for sale. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Mike, Mike, tell that story, how you got to the, cause so, so something, sure. you didn't, something I didn't mention in your intro and something you didn't mention either is, in the, the the deal you're in now, actually, you did mention that your company was acquired. Obviously, it was a massive financial event for you personally. Oh, I don't um, have to get into that. We're not gonna we're not gonna get into the details <laughs> of that, of course. But it was it was an incredible moment for sure. you individually, sure. and it wasn't possible from what you tell me if it wasn't for being open minded to talking to a recruiter. Tell that story. Yeah, I sure. Gotta, so, yep. I'll, no, I'll, so yeah. I'll, 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 <laughs> you're good. Okay. No, so I. Uh, I, I the, the last uh, you know two jobs that I've had, it's been recruiters reaching out to me, and you know I'm fortunate enough to know some ex recruiters and understand kind of the job that um, they do, and ultimately they want to help people get roles, right? They are paid by companies to find good people to get mm -hmm. roles. So the first um, recruiter, um, actually before this role that I'm currently in, um, they reached out to me. And it took me a year working with this recruiter to find the job that I wanted. And that's where it landed me into the, you know, the company that I'm at now five and a half years ago. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where I've always respected, you know, kind of recruiters in terms of just their tenacity, their, their willingness to help you get going. Um, and, you know, I've worked with recruiters to hire people. Uh, and then I also like I take recruiter calls and hopefully my boss isn't listening to this. I'm good, Nick, I promise. But um, no, I, think <laughs> I, I, I take recruiter calls because, um, you know, I, I'm looking at my network, too. So I think, you know, Nate introduced us to a recruiter, you know, kind of in his network. And, you know, I've tried to help out other people work with him and stuff like that. And from my understanding, like, I think I think there's been three times that someone has been hired because of an introduction I've made. So. I just like helping because guess what? When I'm when, when you know a company you know kind of says get rid of me or I'm ready to look look somewhere else because I'm ready for a different career, 
I go immediately to my LinkedIn and talk to like and look at all the recruiters. And if you've had conversation with them, you're in the system. You that there's notes. You're more than likely to be vouched for in yeah. certain situations. And so I would just say utilize that. Like for example, I'll give you an ex- a great example. Recruiters are more open mm-hmm. to tell you what the high end of the OTE uh, compensation package is than if you were to do it on your own. So like they have an in, right? They know mm-hmm. who they're working with, what the what, what what kind of compensation packages for a specific role in a specific location is going for. So you know what to go for. And so it's just it's just such a lever that I don't think people really pull. Now remember, I'm I'm in the sales world. I don't necessarily how many are in like technical or generic roles or marketing roles or something like that, but it is look for people that recruit for the type of roles that you want and start making those um, relationships yeah. early. You said network is your net worth. Thousand percent. I mean, mm-hmm. I like to be. I mean, to be you know quite fair, the people around me and the people that I would work with again, and hopefully they would want to work with me again. I know that I am going to be probably within what twenty to thirty percent of what they make, and it could be a lot of money, right? Yeah. So it really comes down to you know, just as much as your bank account is. Uh, is 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 important. Your your you know your contacts in your uh, phone is important. Hundred percent. I agree. And and if you're if you're working you know with a recruiter and you're it's I I kind of like equating it to like being a free agent in the NFL or whatever. Like you yeah. know what your worth is. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Because you're on the market and you you know what this company might that might also help you in your current role to to be more confident to negotiate your compensation mm-hmm. package too you know it, like so there's to me it's like a win-win situation it's like i'm either going to get a better job yep. and be happier and make more money or i'm also going to have the i'm going to probably have more leverage to negotiate with my current company yeah yeah yeah, compensation yeah, yeah I, like I, I definitely have reached out to recruiters that i've gotten relationships with and said hey what is this um role going in a current rate right now in this location or remote like and and they'll tell you, you know, because you yeah. built the relationship. So yeah. and you and it's not just because I'm a manager; it's because you know you can do that at an individual contributor level if you want to. Yeah, I, I will say this: like to this day, um, interviewing people and hiring the right person is still the hardest thing for me. And for like when I talk to my boss and my boss's boss, it's the hardest thing. It's it's hiring the right people and the right candidates. I mean. I will say there's been two interviews that I've been in that I was like, this person's going to knock it out of the park. Oh my gosh, they were great. Yeah. My boss was like, this person's going to be great. And it was an utter flop from the start. No. So, you know, you, you, why? Because they just, they failed the interview, you're saying? No, no, they, 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 they're professional interviewers. And then when they actually go down to brass tacks and try to get the work oh, done, yeah, yeah. they, they flail. Interesting. Out. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you have to actually be good at your job. To, <laughs> yeah. By Weird. the way, you're, yeah. you're, you can negotiate a raise, but you got to actually work there for a whole year to get that income. Yep. So, okay. So we've talked, we've kind of, Steve, where are we at on the agenda? No, That's why I asked that because I feel like that's, that is everything from um, the the guy, the the points that we wanted to hammer down, I think were hammered. And that's why I asked that question. Mike, I didn't know if there was anything else as we start to wrap up here, if there was any points that you wanted to drive home, we talked about the mindset the concept of leverage and then the actual negotiations. And you said a lot of powerful stuff in between there. Um, I know you could talk about this stuff for like hours, but I don't know if there's any like, well, the the one one... thing, well, well, why don't I go go ahead, Nate, go ahead. Sorry. 
Mike, Mike and I do this to each other all the time. <laughs> no, let me um, go. No, no, you can go. No, 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 no you're good. I think one thing that we sort of brushed over that I think is really, really important is we've we've covered a lot of great stuff, but maybe you're somebody listening that is not that has to you you work more on skill set acquisition and whatever. Mm. Um, we kind of brushed over that a little bit, like yeah, like you you've. You've maybe correct me if I'm wrong. You you might be so good at negotiating that there's been times where you've negotiated a position or job or whatever that you actually weren't even really ready for. Um, yeah, I think you should totally always go for positions you're not ready so, for. Yeah. So, but I think that's a big point where people need to view like part of the reason why we think income is so controllable is because skill set acquisition is so controllable. So, um, maybe touch on that just a little bit more. Um, and anything else that you wanted to add to this, but I thought that that kind of got brushed over yeah. like the whole, like yeah. if you're, if you're, you know, you aspire to be something, you know, to get to a position that maybe you don't feel like you're ready for yet. What advice do you give to that person? Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll try to kind of bring it back to, you know, when I was going for my first sales manager role, you know, I never managed, I mean, I never managed a sales process before I did manage, um, BDR, so like cold callers and stuff. So I had some management experience, but before that, right, I didn't manage anybody when I became a BDR manager. So that's a skill set that I'm not experienced in. So what do you do, right? And I think one of the key elements of what I've been able to do is be successful is to be curious Mm. about jobs that I don't know about and then apply those to the interviews when I got the seat at the table. So for example, in the manager role, you know, you're going to get asked if you're going for a management seat and you've never managed anybody, you're going to probably be asked, well, hey, I see on your on your experience that you've never been a manager before. Could you tell me a little bit more about that? You better be ready to answer the question with really good, solid specifics, right? And so, for example, in the sales manager role, I knew that a couple diff- a couple things were going for me because they're, you know, not to try to get too technical in sales, but there are sales forecasting methodologies that you need to have as a sales manager to hold your team accountable to make sure that they can forecast the proper amount of deals coming in. Well, I never managed to that, but you damn well know I read a book about it. Mm-hmm. I you know, watched YouTube videos about it. I talked to some of my mentors who did it before, and I gather that information, and you'd be shocked when you prepare a little bit for the interview and you know inevitably that question's mm-hmm. coming up. You have mm-hmm. a good, solid answer for it, and then you just got, and then when you get the job, you just got to apply it. So Mm -hmm. I actually think a lot of people don't prepare for those questions. Well, I see you don't have experience. Tell me about that. And a lot of people that are scared, I think they should go through those things themselves, Mm -hmm. like, and, Mm -hmm. and, and learn like YouTube, like talk to your mentors that have done it before, um, learn what that company does. Right. And, and be interested in that company. Um, I think is just such a huge thing around skill set acquisition. So like, I always am going for roles where I'm learning and now it like, what I've learned actually, and and you know, interviewing with CEOs, interviewing with some venture capital folks, when you get, you know, going up and up and up in an organization, we're all trying to figure it out. Like bigger decisions and more mm-hmm. riskier decisions are mm-hmm. made for the company, but it doesn't mean that they never had a first time they had to do it. So yeah. I think learning, having a learning component making sure that you show that you are willing to learn to do yeah. the job well, those people I'm always putting a checkbox on on moving to the next round to hire because mm-hmm. you can figure it out. Yeah. 
being resourceful that's such a big skill set 100 percent. yeah it's funny how how many people like they want they want the answer they want to have somebody within the company that they can go ask a question to to give them the answer versus being resourceful to find the answer that's the that is so valuable to a company having people in your organization that are just can go find the solutions yeah (laughs) those people those people get paid more yep and and i will say this one thing kind of on the skill set acquisition piece like you know, I, I my title is VP of Revenue for a software company, and um, that means that I handle everything revenue. So from new business acquisition to renewals and all that. If somebody asked me, like, okay, like, how do you coach your people? Like, I need to be dangerous enough to know how to sell, know how to negotiate on the at, at the table, all that stuff. But my job as a VP of Sales is to actually hire people that are better than me at the job as an account executive. And I think a lot of people struggle when they're looking for bigger jobs and management jobs they have to like oh i just got to be the best at this role in order to succeed no no no. you got to be the most resourceful Mm -hmm. to get things done to hit the number for your team from a sales perspective but that's how i think a lot of people think are not thinking about it's be resourceful be okay with people on your team being better than you and you're going to go a long way yeah being able to manage your ego is such a big deal that's a whole nother hour podcast, right? Yeah, that's a whole nother hour podcast. Yeah, exactly. But um, no, I think I think maybe just a couple, one other thing to note. So I mentioned on the job responsibility piece in terms of um, the job description, looking at that when you're looking for a raise. I think people that are looking for new jobs, when you are looking to do a cover letter or a resume, I can't stress enough how important it is. Literally, look at every bullet point, and then in your resume, you should make sure that a bullet point in your resume reflects the bullet point in the job description. I look at, you know, for every for every um, job, I probably look at, well, now it's like hundreds of resumes, but before when things were hard to come by for, for applicants, um, I probably looked at at least 50 to 60 resumes. I know what I'm looking for because I wrote the job description or I helped HR write the job description. Just mm-hmm. do that. You're probably going to have yeah. a way better chance to get an interview. Interesting. That's great advice. And that sounds that so is, simple. Yeah. It really is simple, but people don't think like because yeah. yeah and, and then and then you know if, if you're in another industry, you have skills or you've done something that correlates with that specific bullet point. Highlight that, you know, and and yeah. I think I mean th- that's another course in and of itself. But I I do think that people really are very generic in their resume, and it's like oh yeah, I'm going to do this. It's no, are you interested in the company you're applying for, yeah. and can you actually do the job that mm-hmm. is entailing it? Yeah, that's maybe where I would leave it off. Mm, good good Dude, stuff. That's a good tip. I think uh, um, to kind of wrap this up, amazing conversation. Um, I think that if nothing else, that if everybody listening to this podcast took away just having a goal around what do you want your income to be in whatever period of time you want to pick, three years, five years, 20 years, one year, I don't care. And then you take everything and then you – we covered so many great tactics around how you can make that come to life. But if you just have a goal and you write it down, I got to imagine that the probability of you achieving it go goes up. And even if you don't hit it, if you move closer to it, that's a just a huge win for people. Yeah. And again, in personal finance, we're a personal finance company. You can grow your surplus by reducing expenses and managing your budget better, but you can also do it by increasing your income. And that was the whole point of today was – how can we help our clients increase their income? And Mike, you're just the man at that. We appreciate you coming on, dude. Yeah. 
No, Seriously. really enjoyed it. Let me know if I can ever help. And, well, guys, and, and well, no, we'll go from there. Absolutely. Now, we didn't do Max Dash moments in the beginning, so we got to do them now. Otherwise, we are, we, I mean, who are we if we don't do this, right? You can't like, be frauds. Uh, absolutely can't be frauds. not. Now, he's your best friend, Nate, and client. And when I brought up Max Dash moments in the preps, he asked what that was. I think, well, you don't tell this guy? No, no, no. Hang on, hang on. Mike is a often very distracted individual so i think my excuses is that he was he's he's kind of nervous he's kind of like this is my first podcast he's so focused on what he's going to talk about that he didn't even hear your question when you asked him the first time he knows what max or dash means i i hope oh wait so, so did you ask me that did you ask me that question on this podcast or the pre-run well, pre i said the pre-run i said hey oh, you gotta have it prepared what... just so i didn't catch you out of, uh, off guard I see. No, no, you didn't catch me off guard. I, I, I got a, I got a bunch of Max or Dash moments, man. Perfect. All right, Nate, you're up. Ooh. Start us off. So, like last thirty days. Yeah, yeah. Do last thirty. Ish. Yeah. Ooh. Mm. Ooh. Well, I mean, it's just such low hanging fruit, but it really is like the first thing that comes to my mind is, um couple of firsts for my son, Grayson, and, and Nicole and I as a family. We had our first Thanksgiving together. That was awesome. Um, it's it's amazing how, like, watch – like, my wife gets so excited to put him in, like, a, an outfit for the day, for the theme of the day. Like, you know what I mean? Mike, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Um, and, but it is just the cutest. Like, it's – oh, God, it makes me just so happy. And then uh, we, we, we got our first Christmas tree together, and I'm cutting that thing down. We're out in – we literally went out and cut down a tree. And uh, as I'm cutting down the tree, Grayson has just a meltdown. He just starts <laughs> – screaming crying we're like we're like 500 yards from the parking lot so but it was it was amazing we uh we got our first tree we had our first thanksgiving that'd be my max nice. dash moment cool that's cool well so I, I guess in the last 30 days uh you know one of my max dash moments probably is that we got our two and a half year old out of her crib and into a bed uh, and uh, yeah, so it was it it, it was uh, and she was an angel the first few days and we're going through actually a bit of a regression now, but I think she's a bit sick. But uh, honestly, like it was like the coolest moment for her. She was so happy to get that going because we're getting ready for baby number two uh, in the crib. So I would say the look on a two and a half year old's face in something new, whether it's a stuffed animal or a bed, you know, you got to try to take that in and uh, yeah. and enjoy it. That's amazing. It's it is crazy how all these are always centered around like a family or friend. Literally every single one of them. That's that is literally a max or dash. Well, you know, you guys are literally dads. I I am not a dad. We are in the thick of it. We are in the thick of being dads. Right in the thick of things. Nate was like, "Oh yeah, Mike, you you know what I'm talking about." That's Steve. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Steve. What's yours? Yeah, Uh, dude. My family, like my mom, puts up the Christmas tree. The day after Halloween, because she's a nutcase. But mm-hmm. me and my family watched our first, like, Christmas movie. I'm trying to be more intentional hanging out with my family, because, like, the Max or Dash stuff. Um, watched our first Christmas movie of the season. We're big Christmas movie people. Which one I hate was Elf, it? though. I hate Elf. I hate Elf. Really? Oh, you would, my wife and you would not get along. Watch Santa like, Claus. You, Santa Claus like, 1. You, is, Remy, is, like, is Remy all about Christmas and like Christmas music and movies? Like, Is that like a big deal in your household or not really? Well, so we, uh, we, we got kind of crazy early. So normally, like, so last year we were moving into a new house. It was being built and it wasn't ready. So we, um, we couldn't put our Christmas stuff up last year. And uh, so we did. And Kelsey gave her like a little show of, 
um, some Christmas decorations and she just wanted to do, she called it chrisms. So uh, we did mm. a lot of chrisms on November 1st. So after <laughs> Halloween, I put up two trees, all these ornaments. It was really fun. But, you know, you asked me in the last 30 days, but that would have been another nice yeah. moment is to watch uh, Remy put a bunch of ornaments on a Christmas tree for the first time. It was pretty cool. It, if it's hard for you to pick which Max or Dash moment you're going to use for this, that's that's when you know you're really you're living like yeah. the right way. No. <laughs> Mike, I, I appreciate you coming on, though. This was fun. This is yeah. this has been really helpful, I think, from hopefully everyone that's listening to this has learned something. I've definitely learned some stuff like it's really helpful. Um, so and, and like well, what I would say, on. yeah, and what I would say, guys, is like nothing of this is original. I literally just put curiosity in to do a bunch of research online and uh, people will be able to figure some stuff out. Cool. Thanks for having me on. Yep. Anything else, guys? Nate, 2023 Invitational Champs. Are we getting ready for it? Yeah, we we've let we we, we let we what we let we let one year go without being True. the champs. We, we'll probably have to take the throne again. All right, we'll end it <laughs> off on that. Thank you guys for listening to the Max or Dash podcast. We will catch you in the next one. Securities offered through Securities America Inc. Member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered through Security America Advisors Inc. Dash Capital Advisors and Securities America are separate entities.